Father God, thank You for Your goodness and Your grace. We thank You for uh, so great salvation um, and the work that was done to make it available to us. And there are things we don't know, we don't, we don't even know about that got done. And uh, we're going to find those out and compound glory uh, upon the sun and into the ages. And for how long, we don't know, but we'll keep doing it uh, as long as it pleases you. Help us tonight, we pray. Give us, give me um, clarity of expression and clarity of mind. And might those who are joining us by <clears throat> the internet, might they also be blessed from what we share here tonight. It's a great privilege, great responsibility, and we do not take it lightly. Thank you. Amen. Okay, um, I gave you an extra. I gave you another page of notes tonight, and I'm going to go back, pick up a couple of things, try to do it quickly. Um, we got to John 14 verses one through actually one through three, one through four. If I go, and I, I'm, most of these are being read out of the King James. You can read whatever ver- version you want, but when we're I excerpted a passage from 2 Thessalonians at the end of the notes here, and that is from the King James, and we've done our word work in the King James. So, John 14, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many, we'll say dwelling places. Mansions can be misunderstood. It really is dwelling places, many dwellings. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Quick note. Do not associate this statement with the things that God has prepared for those that are loving Him. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, round about verse 9. They're not talking about the same thing, although in both cases they are benefits of grace that God has provided for those that are loving Him. This is, this is talking about a dwelling place for New Testament saints in the heavenlies. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, is not. That is a distinction that will be important to maintain. Okay. <clears throat> in my Father's house many dwelling places, if it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. Verse 3. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. All I want to do by going back and reviewing here is I want you to catch that phrase. It's going to be important. It, it's very simple, but it will be important as we wrap up the end of the hour. I will come again and receive you unto myself. Now, it uses a word in compound with a preposition which can be translated take. It's one of the first words you learn, one of the first verbs you learn. I think it's, in Ray Summers, I think it's the very first lesson. Lombano. I give or I take. I give or I receive. And we thought, well, wow. Does it give or maybe it's take? I take or I receive. I take or I receive. Take is an active concept. I receive. Lynn gives me a, another piece of the dessert. Don't only use this as an illustration. Right into I receive it more passive, right? I took the first two, notwithstanding the fact that Jeanette didn't want me to have two because I wasn't eating cucumbers. 
Anyway, I take or I receive, same word. In this case, I will come back and you can say, take you if you want unto myself. King James translators translated it, I will receive you unto myself. But this is a very personal activity for God the Son. Okay, now down to um, the next item, C. Behold, I show you a mystery. That comes from 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50, what, 51 and following. Details concerning the resurrection of New Testament saints were a mystery. They needed to be explained. You can demonstrate from the Old Testament. There was probably broad and varied understanding of Old Testament Scripture, but resurrection is mentioned in the Old Testament. So it's not like it was unknown. Details concerning the order of resurrections and their stages. The word stage is used there. Tagma, each one in its order. In 1 Corinthians 15, many people who know about the resurrection of the physical body they may not understand the details of it. They everybody's just going to, you know, one grand. Everybody's going to be out of the grave. It will happen in stages. Has it already happened? Has some of it already taken place? Troy, you kind of semi gave a little quick like that, so I'm picking on you. <laughs> huh? Has the resurrection, those stages in 1 Corinthians 15, have they already begun? The preacher said, out from among dead ones, God the Son has come out from among dead ones. He's the first fruits of them who sleep. First begotten from the dead. Yeah. And that's mentioned in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, if we didn't believe that, oh, we are most men, most men. We're, we're beside ourselves. So yeah, the stages of physical bodily resurrection began with God the Son out from among dead ones. 1 Corinthians 15, we'll have a chance to get there in weeks to come. But there are details that are going to be revealed, are going to be made known in the, in the New Testament. And I gave you, there are numerous New Testament mysteries. We talked about the word mysterion. It is truth previously hidden, now revealed. Okay. Were these disciples contemplating resurrection? We don't think they were. It's, It's unlikely they were contemplating it any more than in a general sense. They're looking for the king. Well, this one that came out from among dead ones. Oh, will you at this time restore the kingdom? Um, and then uh, this just to give you an idea what their train of thought was. Remember, folks, be kind to them. There was a great deal of information that they had heard, probably forgotten, much of it. They hadn't synthesized it yet. Why? Because God the Spirit had not come yet. Now, in the events of Acts chapter 2, he is going to begin what was promised in John chapter 14, around about verse 17. 
He is with you. He will be in you. That marks a change, and that's very significant. It's very clear in Scripture. It's a small detail, right? No, it's not. It, it marks a, a change in relationship between believers and God the Spirit. <clears throat> okay. They're not contemplating access to the heavenlies. I don't know how much they understood about dwelling in the heavenlies, but I don't think most people with Jewish background contemplated leaving this earth and going to heaven. We said they looked for a city whose builder and maker, which had foundation, whose builder and maker is God. That's in Hebrews chapter 11. But they are not contemplating going there to dwell. Now, what did he tell them in John chapter 14? In my Father's house are many dwelling places. Well, dwelling places are for dwelling. But in verse 5, Thomas is going to say, we don't know the way of which you speak. And Jesus has to correct him. Listen, there's a spiritual component here. Yeah, I've told you. I've told you. I am the way. Verse 5, John 14. But the thing, that, the thing to, of which to take note is this. <clears throat> There is a compendium of information that you have been exposed to and that you take for granted that these people didn't know, hadn't synthesized yet, hadn't grasped yet. Scott, um, last page of this, both sides is where we are tonight. That's a complete syllabus, but <clears throat> I only printed 12 copies because I was fighting with my printer. Okay, <clears throat> now, we introduced the notion in 1 Thessalonians, okay, so he, he's, he's going to leave, he's told them, I'm coming back to get you, when? None of that is made clear before he leaves. When they are going out to the Ascension Mount, Acts chapter 1, the same Jesus you, you, whom you saw go will so come again in like manner as you've seen him go. Rapture? What do you think? Rapture? Are we not using the term rapture? Do we have to... We're, we're using the term rapture, right? We believe in a pre-trib rapture. It will happen, and Scripture proves it, before Daniel's 70th week. Adam... <laughs> He's tuned in. <clears throat> um, no, not the rapture in Acts chapter 1. He will so come again in like manner as you've seen him go. How'd they see him go? Visibly. Zechariah chapter 14 will get there in due course. Plainly says that Israel's Messiah will come down and touch down and the mount will split in half. Zechariah 14, when we when we get to we get past the events concerning the church, we're gonna we're gonna deal with that in a successive week. That's not the rapture. Is he touching down at the rapture? We don't know yet because we haven't been there. Well some of you know because you know. <laughs> He's gonna touch down he left from the earth as they were watching him. He will so come in that manner and touch down again and look out. That's the second coming in power and great glory. That's not the rapture. For a long time, I thought it was. Should have known better, but 
catching away suddenly and with great force. That is what I want. That's where I, we, we want to spend our time tonight. <coughs> First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses what? Uh, 13 through 18, because the comfort belongs there. I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. And we said last week it's okay to sorrow, just don't sorrow as others who have no hope. You have hope. And we talked about the fact that there are two places in this text where we are specifically said to be in Christ. And the prepositions are different. In one case, what? 14, I believe it is. Jesus died and rose again, even though, even so also those which sleep in Jesus. They are certainly in Christ. Once you get in Christ by spirit baptism, you never get out. And by the way, for those of you who have friends that don't understand eternal security, there's not a single text of Scripture telling you how to get re-spirit baptized. You, you, you don't need it. And by the way, if someone's been born again, someone's been born from above and got water baptized but just didn't like the church you were baptized in, oh, let's get baptized again. No. Why would you do that? We were presented with that at Liberty Gar at a church I used to attend. I was in leadership and wanted to be, ba wanted to be baptized with his kids. Bless his heart. And I, he's a wonderful guy. And I, th I said, wait a minute, no, 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 you were baptized as a believer. All right, how long has it been off? I don't know. Oh. <laughs> Paul was caught up. I thought you were, I thought you were tarrying for the spirit, Carl, and I thought we were going to have to talk to you after. <clears throat> Paul was caught up into paradise, but he was only up to the third heaven. He wasn't inside the third heaven when he was in paradise. Paradise is not in the heavenlies. It's, not, uh, it's in the heavenlies. It's not inside the third heaven. Where's the tree of life? According to Scripture, now it's in paradise. There may be a specific reason. For, well, we think there is a specific reason for it. We won't discuss it tonight. But the term harpazo is a biblical term. It occurs in Scripture. It means caught up suddenly. It means caught away suddenly with great force. And in some cases, I've given you numerous references here. In some cases, that's exactly what it means. In the, there's a, a Lucan re, uh, reference, and I've given it to you twice. Um, I didn't give it to you here, but later. The kingdom, men would take the kingdom by force. Harpazo. In Philippians chapter 2, Jesus said, Paul said, Jesus did not think it robbery, something to be grasped at or snatched. It's a noun form of harpazo. And it's not so very far removed from a term which would designate rape, assaulting by force. 
caught away suddenly and with great force. It's a biblical concept. It is taught in Scripture, and the word is biblical. Just understand why people have the audacity to say it's not. It's an English word. You wouldn't expect to find English words in the original text of Scripture. We needed them translated. Some translators bypassed the Latin. They went from Greek to English. So they never got to the rapturo in uh, Latin. I took Latin in high school. <clears throat> Turn to 2 Thessalonians. Let me say one more thing. I need to say a couple of things. There's a word in Scripture, there's a concept in Scripture that is misappropriated, that is misused, and it produces extensive confusion. God did not execute wrath on the Lord Jesus on the cross. That's why we changed the words to that song in the Beloved. And I don't know whether it's a good idea or not, but it's better than the way Wendell Lovelace wrote it. Bless his heart, he knows better now. Infinite wrath flowing over his head. Wrath is anger. There are two words that are commonly translated wrath, variously, and anger. One is orge, one is thumos. One describes smoldering anger, the other describes the outburst. That's what you would see. Do not, saints, make the mistake of making judgment and wrath interchangeable notions. God does not have to be angry to execute righteous judgment. And He will execute judgment in righteousness, the pastor told us eloquently with the support of Scripture in his series on judgments. Just finished. There is a time, and the book of Revelation is very, very clear. We won't go there tonight. When the wrath of God is finished with a perfect tense verb, it's done. But oh my, you still have judgment. You still have judgment? You don't have the great white throne yet. Now is the wrath of God complete, having been completed. But you still have judgment. You, there is no future occasion for you to be the specific target of the wrath of God, neither qualitatively nor specifically. And the pastor, well said, he made a distinction between articular and anarthrous. And for those of you who don't hear it often enough, articular means article, with the article. Anarthrous, A-N-A-R-T, without the article. And in Greek, you don't have to be a Greek scholar to know this, but in Greek, the article, the definite article, is an among other things, it is principally an identifier. If you know nothing else about it, it is an identifier. He said, the boy, the boy. You, you, you have, 
Which one? Which one? I see three out. Well, uh, uh, the one in the middle. I saw a boy. Well, I've seen boys. Driving to church tonight, I saw five boys. No, I mean the boy. The, the, see the one with the basketball? The article is an identifier. Why is that important? Because when you see these terms, thumos and orge, variously translated wrath, with the article, make this distinction. God is carefully designating for your understanding a future time of the outpouring of his wrath. We'll do a series on it. Have, you, have we done that here? The wrath of God? Do you remember? Fascinating study. It's a future time of the specific outpouring of the wrath of God. It's very focused. It's for, for a very specific reason. I'll tell you what one of the reasons is. And Dave did a wonderful study on this. Dave said, hey, you don't have wrath in heaven. You only have wrath on earth, the wrath of God on earth. So what about judgment after the heavens and earth? There was found no place for them, the great white throne. Huh? Must have messed up. No. Judgment and righteousness, not wrath. Do not mix these two terms. Separate them. Distinguish between them. And here's the reason. There is absolutely no reason in the plan of God for the New Testament church saints to ever experience wrath. Much less the wrath of the God the Father, the God. He is going to let creation know what he thinks about the despite that they have done in the face of the messianic evidences. It's a great study. I will tell you the wrath of the God is closely connected with the messianic evidences that Christ performed during his earthly ministry that should have compelled logical calculus met the standard of proof. I worked in a, in a lawyer's office. They're always talking about does the evidence, does it meet the standard of proof? Yeah. This is the one they were alerted to watch for. He'll do these things. These things will identify him. No, 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 no. Don't even hear it. Don't want to hear it, by the way. No, not listen. Stubborn refusal to be persuaded by the truth. Sometimes translated disobedience, sometimes translated unbelief. That's not simple unbelief. That's stubborn refusal to be persuaded by the facts. God is going to express, he's going to demonstrate how he feels about that quality of stubborn refusal to be persuaded by the truth, the compelling evidences that should have compelled belief on a human level. <clears throat> there is no future occurrence of you as the target of God's wrath. You will not experience the wrath of God Period. That is a time reserved 
for Daniel's 70th week. Use a little geometric logic. If you're not going to experience the wrath of God, the wrath of God is, is reserved for Daniel's 70th week, you will not experience the wrath, the tribulation, the great one, second half. You will not experience Daniel's 70th week. You'll be gone. How will you get gone? Caught up suddenly with great force. To ever be with the Lord. He will come to get you for himself. John 14. Come back. Come back for you guys. Take you to myself. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 4. End of verse 17, I believe. Okay. There is no, listen carefully, there is no reason for the, for the church to go through the wrath of God. There is no reason for the church to go through Daniel's 70th week. I don't know how I'm going to get it done, but Revelation chapters 2 and 3, we're going to have to do it on the run. The church of Philadelphia has promised that they will not experience the hour that's coming. What? Verse 10 of chapter 3. To try all those that dwell on... Well, yeah, I, I know that. I, Yeah, you guys, all you pre-tribute, you say... <clears throat> but the Lord can... The Lord can... Uh, uh, he can uh, shelter you. Um, you know. This is not for you. He can protect you. In, yeah, and He can also take you out. And apparently from Scripture, that's what He plans to do. Take you out. He has other things for you during that time. You will be in another place doing something else. Why would you be on earth to experience wrath? Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. <clears throat> Two references I want you to know. Remember them. 1 Thessalonians 5, early, I think it's 1. Let's see. No, it's 8. Is it 8? No, it's 9. 1 Thessalonians 5.9, Romans 5.9. I think that's a good, is that a good memory device? Yeah. Romans 5.9, you are not going to experience, you can go there and read it. Romans 5.9, you are not going to experience, wait a minute, the wrath of God. What did the pastor say about the definite article in Greek? It's there for a reason. It's there to call your attention to something. It's there at the very least for an identifier. You need to ask you the question, what specific time of wrath or occasion of wrath is this that we're not going to experience Romans chapter 5 verse 9. It's the wrath that's reserved for Daniel's 70th week. In 1 Thessalonians, in 1 Thessalonians 5 9, not Romans 5 9, but 5 9 in both cases, it is coming wrath that is clear from the context. It's the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is, is a term that occurs in 1 Thessalonians 5. Paul is teaching this young church about the day of the Lord. And he says, you're not appointed to that. <clears throat> no reason for you to go through the wrath. No reason for you to go through Daniel's 70th week. Okay. John 14, he said... John 16, he said he's going to build his church. John 14 said he's leaving, but he's coming back to get them. 1 Thessalonians 4 says, 
The Lord is going to descend and catch away suddenly. We're going to meet Him in the air. 1 Corinthians 15 gives the sequence, the order of the physical bodily resurrection, which will involve church saints. You've got to be resurrected to get taken out of here in your new body. And the last question there, the let's review section of today's notes, when? When is this going to happen? Well, <clears throat> some of this will have to be covered quickly, but I gave you a lot of notes here. The day of Christ, make this distinction, folks, and I'm going to have to supplement this close to the end of the quarter with a list of terms. I, I, if I had done it early, I would have missed some. The day of Christ, I gave you what? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine places in Scripture where the day of Christ is used. Be well worth your time to go to those references and look at them. The next term is the day of the Lord. Now, I've given you more references to, to the day of the Lord. These are not the same occasions. Listen carefully. Much. See if I can wrap this into a cohesive uh, summary statement. Much confusion abounds, much abounds, much confusion pertains, obtains by people not being careful with the language of Scripture. They don't pay attention to the articles. The wrath, a specific event, a specific occasion of the outpouring of God's wrath. Day of the Lord, day of Christ. Ah, well, it's, I mean, that's, Christ is Lord, right? So that must be the same thing. No, it's not. The day of the Lord occurs numerous times. Listen to Isaiah chapter 2, verses 10 through 22. I don't know if I dare try to read this. Enter, this is Isaiah. I mean, Isaiah. This is way, way long before Pentecost, right? Enter into the rock and hide thee in the dust for fear of the Lord and for the glory of his majesty. The lofty looks of man shall be humbled. His haughtiness, the haughtiness of men shall be bowed down. The Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. For the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord of hosts shall be upon everyone that is proud, lofty upon everyone that is lifted up. He shall be brought low and upon all the cedars of love. This is a time of Holocaust. Scripture says it's a time. This is, the, this is Daniel's 70th week. And when we say Daniel's 70th week, the reason we say that is because that's a technically accurate expression. Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. These things are going to happen to your people. Five participles, Hebrew participles in that passage. This has been a time that's been designed to... to Cause this in the, the narrative of the nation of Israel. This is long before, this is Old Testament stuff. He's talking to Hebrews. The day of the Lord, our pastor has talked about man's day. The phrase occurs once in Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul says, I'm not concerned about an adjudication that may be made during the times of the Gentiles by some secular court. God's my judge. Men's day. The day of the Lord, I'll say it this way. The active intervention again of Jehovah God 
visually and conspicuously in the affairs of men. Now, it's not going to be pretty. Well, I mean, for some of us who are going to thrill to see righteousness, it, it will be in a good sort of way. First Thessalonians 1.10. <laughs> the glory of His power. Yeah, I'm going to thrill to that. And there won't be any cockiness either. But for the people that are in the crosshairs, oh, ooh, not good. But the day of the Lord will also involve Joel chapters 1 through 3 and Hebrews 1 through 4, right? Same content, but chapter division differently. And if you notice in Joel chapter 3, what's happening? This kind of reaches into the millennium. The millennium belongs in the day of the Lord. And some well-meaning scholars don't understand that. The day of the Lord, Daniel's 70th week, the judgments, millennial reign of Christ. That whole thing is the day of the Lord. But most of it, or much of it, the stuff that gets all the press, is the, is the fireworks. And it's not going to be pretty. Isaiah chapter 2, people don't understand this. They don't read this. The term the day of the Lord occurs in Isaiah, occurs in Ezekiel, it occurs in Jeremiah. I've given you references. It occurs in Joel. It occurs in Amos. It occurs in Obadiah, Zephaniah, Zechariah. Then in Malachi 4, 5, then it occurs in Acts 2.20. Peter is preaching to Jews. And he, he talks, he references the day of the Lord. And very interestingly, Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32, that many people believe has already been fulfilled. It has not. Peter talks about Joel, the prophecy of Joel, chapter 2, verses 28 through 32, against the backdrop of these prophecies concerning the day of the Lord coming true. <clears throat> First Thessalonians 5, 2, yet for you yourself, this is Paul to a young church, and it's about somewhere between 50 and 54 AD. It's, it's early. For you yourselves know. Now, this is chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians. What's he just finished in 1 Thessalonians 4? Talk to him about sudden catching away, right? Then he says in verse 5, For you yourselves know that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. I'm going to do this. I got a message on Facebook today from a friend. I haven't seen him in 100 years. And he, he, he encourages us with prayers. And he prayed that I would contemplate being prepared for the sudden appearing of the Lord. And there's no question in my mind he meant the rapture. Thief in the night. That's not, that's not the rapture. That's a judicial act that takes them all out to judgment. It's talked about in Matthew 24. That's not the rapture in Matthew 24. Bless his heart. Maybe I'll have a chance to talk to him. Anyway, it occurs in Malachi. It occurs in Acts. It occurs in 1 Thessalonians. It occurs in 2 Thessalonians. It occurs in 2 Peter 3.10. And then there's another reference, Revelation 9, 19, 11 through 21, that you ought to be able to go to immediately and look at the chronology there. Um, but I want you to turn to 2 Thessalonians 2. 
2 Thessalonians 2, and I'm going to go down through this and hit some high points, and I'm going to leave you with something that I hope will encourage you. Among the terms <coughs> that you need to know, rapture, that I've given you down below, coming, there are numerous words translated coming in Scripture, there are numerous words translated appearing, and they're used interchangeably. Sometimes parousia, very common word, is translated coming, sometimes it's translated appearing. There are those who have mistakenly made parousia to be a technical term which describes the rapture. Well, it does in some cases. It designates the rapture. But by context, in other cases, it designates the appearing of Christ in a different context. He's coming back to earth in power and great glory. Some of these words emphasize shining. Some of these words emphasize showing out. They're related terms. I've given them to you. You can... In Matthew 24, verse 27, For as the lightning cometh, there's a word for coming, out of the east and shineth, there's a word that sometimes gets translated appearing, even unto the west so also shall the coming, that's a different word than the one translated coming up above, even so also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Folks, this is a, this is a study that will reward your careful diligence. Okay? Move down into the, I gave you judgment seat of Christ is an occasion. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11 through 16, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. It is the occasion of God the Son responding to those who are in Christ for the work they've done utilizing the resources made available for the Christian life, generally speaking. I mean, there's more we could say about that, and we'll come back and cover it a little later on a different, uh, different occasion. Distinguish that from the great white throne. The great white throne judgment, Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15. By the way, there is a Greek construction in, first, in uh, Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15, which absolutely precludes any possibility that there will be any righteous in the dock, in the dock. In other words, under the hot lights at the great white throne. Absolutely precludes the possibility with a conditional construction there. There will be no righteous at the great white throne. Not in the dock. Now, I happen to think that um, the in Christ saints will be viewing that because we will be where Christ is at a point of time in future. In the future, from then on, we will always and only be where the Lord Jesus is. <clears throat> the judgment seat of Christ, the bema. Kevin's made reference to it. Numerous of us have the bema, the judgment seat of Christ, a specific judgment of works, not sin, not sin, that was judged at the cross, the great white throne judgment, on unbelievers only. The Bema, church saints, not Old Testament saints. They're not in Christ. The great white throne, unbelievers only. Okay. The judgment seat of God, there is a reference 
in Romans chapter 14, verse 10. There's a textual issue there. Some say, sounds like 2 Corinthians 5.10, we shall all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Romans 14.10, there's a textual issue. Some texts read, we will all appear before the judgment seat of God. Not so. Not according to Scripture. I agree with the text that support in Romans 14.10, we shall all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. I think it's the bema in view in Romans 14.10, but just make a note there and visit that text when you have time. 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 5. Try to do this as quickly as possible to make our points. <clears throat> now we beseech you, beseech there is erotao. It's the word petition as an equal. It's very interesting. Paul, Paul is treating these guys, these young believers as fellows. I was surprised at this, Kevin. Erotao. He's saying, hey, you're my brothers. Erotao, as an equal, right? I tell, oh, lesser to greater petition. But this, I petition you as an equal. By the coming of the Lord, and that word there is parousia, it occurs 24 times, by the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you do nothing else, make a note, the Lord Jesus Christ. Israel's Messiah is never so identified. Never. And your critical text for that is Acts 2, verse 36. The Lord Jesus Christ is a full appellative of his person and office as the risen, glorified God-man. Israel's Messiah is never referenced that way. By the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus Christ of us, and by our gathering together unto Him. This is the second epistle he wrote to this church. Guess what he wrote in the first epistle? By our gathering together unto Him. He's talking about the rapture here. I beseech you, according to the things I taught you, remember, he's going to say at some uh, some place, remember when I was with you, I said these things, verse 5. He's talking about the rapture here. And the words gathered together, it occurs twice, it's the word that's used over in Hebrews 10.25. Forsake not the assembling of ourselves together. That's a very exclusive practice, privilege. That ye be not soon, that's quickly, soon shaken. Now this term shaken here, it's used in Matthew 24 in a prophetic text to describe the shaking of the heavenlies, the cataclysmic event. This is, this is, these, I beseech you that you not, be not soon shaken in your minds. Mind is noose, it's a common word for mind. Or that ye be, be not troubled. This is a, this is a, can sometimes be a loudly vocal anxiety. I don't want you to be troubled. Listen, calm yourselves down. I know you have been told that you're in the day of the Lord, and that's the, 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 the sense of this text. You're not. Apparently, as you read verse 2, someone he said, I don't want you to be troubled by a, by a quality of a spirit. I don't know whether a demon or whether in spirit, 
by some influencer, someone who had influence, neither by word nor by letter, another epistle, a counterfeit epistle. Some church historians think they got a counterfeit epistle. Paul, oh, ooh, ooh, this, Paul, did you see that last thing from Paul? It's like a memo. Did you get the memo? I know what he said when he was here last time, but we're in the day of the Lord. Apparently, some have been messing with their minds. Calm yourselves down, Sparky. <clears throat> as from us, letter, spirit, whatever, as if to say, now listen, verse 2, chapter 2, 2 Thessalonians. How many of your texts say that the day of the Lord is here, has come, is at hand? Any? Yours does? Uh, majority text? King James. There is a textual issue here, and this is one of the outstanding textual issues where <clears throat> I would go with the Westcott Hort here. There is Byzantine support, and I believe the correct reading here should be the Day of the Lord. Five minutes? <laughs> day of the Lord is going to be seven hours, seven days, years. Um, okay, quickly. The Day of the Lord, not the Day of Christ. The day of Christ is the occasion of Christ in heaven dealing with the church, which is his body. They had been told the day of the Lord was upon them. Now, I've gone through here and I've given you a lot of things to contemplate. Look at verse 3. Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day, what day? The day of the Lord, the time of Jacob's trouble, the tribulation, the great one, Daniel's 70th week, the time which has come on the earth to try all the, those that dwell on the earth. That day shall not come except there come the, I don't know what you have. King James says falling away. Bad translation. The word plainly means, and if you look down, I've given you some of the analysis down there. The word plainly means departure. It occurs what? This word occurs twice. It occurs once over in Acts 21, and I've given you that reference. Um, it occurs uh, in the masculine form in Matthew and Mark. And it means to depart. I've given you notes. It comes from the, the Greek verb, aphistemi. Listen. Luke 2.37. Luke, just count these. Luke 4.13. Luke 13.27. I've given you all of them. But Luke 12.10. Acts 15. Acts 19. Acts 22. 2 Corinthians 12. 1 Thessalonians 4. 1, 2nd, uh, I mean, 1 Timothy 4, 1, 2 Timothy 2, 19, and Hebrews 3, 12. All those references that I gave you, the verb from which this noun comes, and there's standard agreement on this, in the evolution of language, typically the verb added or, or predates the noun by about 150 years. This verb from which this word comes in all those references I recited for you, in the King James is translated, depart. 
If it had been translated to part in 2 Thessalonians 2, it would read this way. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come the departure first. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Now, Kevin said the boy. Natural response, which boy? The departure first. Which departure? Oh, uh, the one I just told you about in the first epistle. That one. And by the way, that's why I'm writing this. To encourage you. That what I told you in the first epistle, under the governance of the Holy Spirit, is still true. That departure. The day of the Lord will not come until that departure comes first. You will be out of here, miraculously, gloriously. There is no reason in the plan of God for the church, which is His body, to endure Daniel's 70th week. 